Let's do it. That's Jimmer. That's Christian. Welcome back to Two Physical Therapists and a Bag of Chips. Kind of. Puffed ball things. They're going to be awesome. These are the Yokin Mr. Cabbage Taro sauce flavor, we think. It's in quotes. It's all Japanese. We got to translate it professionally. Sort of. Thanks, Tivo. Tivo's Korean, so, um, you know, we'll see. They, we'll they see. don't look anything like the package, which is slightly disappointing, maybe. They look like the, you remember that we did the peanut puffs? Yeah. They kind of look like the peanut puffs, but then like with that. green specks. Yeah. The little green specks is aosa. Yeah. Which is a seaweed. Seaweed thing. Anyway, Before we get to that, piriformis syndrome. Who we said that we said that in unison. We're we're pretty good at this. It's the classic pain in the butt. Piriformis. It's also known as deep gluteal syndrome, extraspinal sciatica, and wallet neuritis. Yeah. In other words, really. we have another syndrome, which means we got a bunch of symptoms and we don't really know what's going on. So we're just going to bunch them all together and call it a syndrome. Yeah. So no, I got patients walking in the door going like, dude, I got piriformis syndrome. It says so in WebMD. I'm syndroming hard right now. I'm like, I don't think you have piriformis syndrome, dude. Let's see what you got. Symptoms, low back pain, buttock pain, hip pain, numbness, difficulty walking, pain with sitting, squatting, standing, potentially bowel movements. There we go. Tender buttocks, some SI joint area discomfort. And then what's also interesting is that there's typically no changes to reflex or myotomal differences, which are nerve-related symptoms. And so uh, that's good to know because the Tip relationship with sciatic nerve is really high, they say. Typical. Typically. Yeah, yeah it's because uh, in some people the sciatic nerve splits to piriformis. Yes. So you can get some piriformis spasming and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, here's, well, here's uh, I'm going to just interrupt you just yeah, for a second. So, so, you know, back when I went to school, which is like, you know, 50 years or so ago, we had upper and lower body cross syndromes, right? Ooh. So then SI joint dysfunction became huge, and I can spend three hours talking about my disdain for the SI joint. Mm. But the classic symptoms were lower back pain, so PSIS side pain, buttock pain radiating into the leg. We would look, we would find a left on left rotation in the sacrum with a right piriformis spasm. You you treat the sacrum, you correct it with some muscle energy technique, piriformis relaxes, leg length evens out, boom, done. Heal, Next week, heal, come back in with heal. the same symptoms. Yeah, I wonder what that's all about. Was, Turns out that the SI joint only does what the lower back tells it to do. What? Um, unless, uh, that's for a different day. You so, are you serious? Piriformis tightness, spasming, is in my humble opinion a lot of times neurologically related. As in, it comes from a, like a you know a, a somatic joint dysfunction in the lumbar spine or a facilitated segment in the lumbar spine. We'll talk about facilitated segments sometime. Okay. I'll do all the prep work for a change instead Ooh. of you doing all the hard work. That would be something, won't it? But so what I was going to point out is that we've been treating SI joint dysfunctions and due to piriformis-like symptoms for eons, mm -hmm. and it's never the piriformis. Yeah. The other thing involved there is the piriformis muscle is really just famous because it's the one that people talk about the most. It shares basically the same position and orientation with six other muscles, the superior and inferior gemellus, the internal and external obturator, glute min, and then quadrate, 
quadratus femoris, which don't get as much credit at all. And these we all group together a lot of times, which we'll call the rotator cuff of the hip. They essentially function to keep joint congruency well in your hip. And so what we can get, just like we get in the shoulder, is, is if you have instability due to something else going on, you'll see like biceps tendonitis or something along those lines, or just diffuse shoulder pain or impingement syndrome, which we all attribute to all sorts of different things. But at the end of the day, a lot of the times it's just some instability in the area, which is really common for a lot of people if they're having pain somewhere. Something they spend on. a lot of time sitting. And nowadays we sit a lot. We sit for work, we sit for play, we sit for meals, we sit in cars. Most of us don't move enough throughout the course of the day. Uh, again, as Jimmer mentioned, the, the mu these muscles, particularly the, the piriformis muscle, has an interplay with the sciatic nerve. Uh, sometimes the orientation is what we would call anatomically typical. Other times that sciatic nerve can run through the piriformis. It can also split around it. It can split through it. You can have kind of two versions of the sciatic nerve above or below. It's very odd. The good news is that happens in less than 15% of individuals that have quote-unquote piriformis syndrome. Uh, there's about a 6 to 1 female to male ratio related to this. So you will see way more females with diagnosed piriformis syndrome than males. This appears to likely be due to the increased Q angle of the hip, particularly the quadratus femoris os coxa relationship. There you have it. So that sounds pretty awesome. Sounds way, sounds way better right. than piriformis syndrome. Right. So you have primary and secondary piriformis syndrome. Primary means that there is actually a physical difference in the relationship between the piriformis and the sciatic nerve. Uh, this is in less than 15% of cases. Secondary piriformis syndrome, which is actually the primary version, so don't forget to mix those up often, <laughs> is usually due to some kind of trauma or muscle holding or gait patterning or other issues further down or above the kinetic chain. So low back issues, knee issues, ankle issues. And this is really what Jimmer was getting to, is that the majority of these issues related to piriformis syndrome are really other things manifesting themselves with a similar pain presentation. And so what's important to remember is you probably don't have as much neurological involvement, which is, again, what's indicated by that typical reflexes and myotomal distribution, and you probably have something going on where either it was caused by some sort of trauma, so a slip and fall, sports injury, repetitive motion, something like that, or there's something else that you're doing on a regular basis that's causing that. So repetitive motion is one of the most common, and sometimes that repetitive motion is sitting weird in your office chair, or sitting weird in your car, or sitting weird on the bleachers when you watch somebody play sports. Most of these things are highly treatable by kind of activity modification and a little bit of uh, exercise here and there. There's yes. a lot of talk about medications for this and surgery for this. And frankly, unless you're one of the, the, the very few who's got a diagnosed case of primary piriformis syndrome that you can contribute specifically to that piriformis sciatic nerve relationship, um, you know, surgery really isn't something you should even consider at all. No, especially since a lot of times this is there's a 
like Christian hinted at, a underlying biomechanical problem. So there could be a movement problem or a posture problem. Um, for an example, and I've actually seen this quite a bit, people who have poor pronation control of the lower extremity um, will actually lock up their hip. The main function, or one of the main functions of the, of the SI joint is to transfer forces from the lower body through the spine and vice versa. So if you lock up your hip, you're gonna get more forces transferred through that SI joint into your lower back. If you have a hypermobile or an unstable lower back, which is the case in a lot of people who are hyperlordotic or have an increased curve in their lumbar spine, you can create unilateral hypermobility or what's called a spondylolisthesis. One of my favorite words. That is a good one. Look that one up on the YouTube. Just try um, to spell it. I still have a hard time spelling it. <laughs> so that can cause localized neurological irritability of, say, the L4 nerve root or the L5 nerve root, which in return can cause muscle spasm back down the chain. So now we have somebody who doesn't control pronation, who has a stiff hip, who has pain in the butt, who has pain in the lower back, and there's lots of things we can treat. The last thing we want to do, though, Mobilize. surgery. Oh, 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 okay. What are we going to surgerize? The foot, the hip, the yeah. lower back, the butt? No. No, we're going to figure out what the primary problem is and start working on stabilization, yeah. strength and stability. So um, I could, I won't, but I could talk for two hours about this topic and drag in all kinds of other things, but, but I don't want to do that. But no. um, I'll save that for a different day. Yep. The last thing I'll say on this is that most of the time, it, this is a relationship due to, to, to poor control, and so mobility tends to be too much in a certain direction. And so one of the few things that doesn't help this is, is stretching, stretching, stretching. You go on the old Dr. Google, and the first thing they'll tell you to do if you have piriformis syndrome is to stretch your hips, is to kind of do that figure four position and stretch your buttock, stretch your buttock, stretch your buttock. And more often than not, people aren't dealing with shortness. They're feeling tightness because of spasming, not tightness because it's short, which is a thing we talk about way too often, it turns out. Yep. But just keep in mind that you can stretch it all day long. And if you've been stretching it all day long for weeks or months or years, and that hasn't provided you relief to this point, it's probably because that's not the issue. Probably not the thing to do. So the next step in that particular case is usually kind of strengthen and stabilize. And that's really where PT comes in and really makes a huge difference relatively quickly in a lot of these cases because most of the time, if you take a muscle that's spasming like crazy and you stretch the heck out of it, that thing is just begging to be worked and, and to be used appropriately. It's interesting that a lot of PTs seem to get a handle on that in the shoulder. So we have, you know, what you said, the rotator cuff of the hip. Mm -hmm. In the shoulder, if we had shoulder instability, biceps irritability, nobody is aggressively stretching the biceps. No. Like everybody's focusing on stability now. No. Hips no different. You do that figure four stretch, and you, especially if you do it aggressively, you create an anterior translation in the hip joint. You create more pinching. You create more pain. You create more spasming. So, stretching, like Christian said, if you've been stretching your hamstrings for four years and you still can't touch the floor, probably not the right thing to do. Maybe there's something else that might work. Yeah, probably not there. Anyway, that's kind of my soapbox there. So I'm gonna get off that one. No, I like it. Trivia time. Santa. Santa.
How fast would Santa's sleigh have to travel to deliver presents to all the children in the world? It's kind of a mislabeled. It should say all the children who celebrate Christmas. Right. Because a lot of kids really don't celebrate Christmas. No. They don't have an opportunity to, or they have different religious beliefs, or... Absolutely. They already got presents for Hanukkah, or... Yeah. Anyway, so in a... In a... In a fictitious world, since we're dealing with Santa... Yeah, yeah. Maybe we shouldn't take this so serious. So in a fictitious world, if Santa delivers presents to all... Would you say 700 million kids? Yep. So per a uh, a study done by Dr. Kathy Sheen, a physicist from Exeter University. I hope she got a grant for this study. She determined that Santa would have to travel 6 million miles per hour to deliver packages to the 700 million or so kids that celebrate Christmas. It's for 31 hours. She determined that, yes, with the time zone differences, she would, Santa would have 31 hours to do this. So we try to figure out, does he stop and go? Does he just fly over and drop? Does he... Yeah. Huh. So we had some we had some pretty good guesses. Ben came up with 3.75 billion miles per hour. Ooh, he based this off of 3 billion homes with the average 15 miles between homes. And he his real problem is, is that he factored in a 12-hour uh, time frame. Oh, so, instead of 31. So, yeah, I mean, if you were to deliver packages to, to basically every child or every home in the world, you would end up uh, doing about 3.75 billion miles an hour. I like that. So that's good math on Ben's part. Got to give him full credit for really putting in an effort there. I think we can all agree that it would have to be freaking fast. Yeah, it's really fast. We would, I don't know, the question is less fun now than it was originally. That's okay. <laughs> uh, Natasha said really, really fast. Which which is a great answer, Natasha. Which, is, which, isn't, which isn't too wrong. By the Lisa way, basically said you need a DeLorean, a time machine, so you could travel forward and backward in time to make this work. That works. That absolutely works. And Tony Korea came at us with some Led Zeppelin because that's, I think, <laughs> that's, the last time he was ready. That, that's how Tony rolls. So, good guesses, guys. We always appreciate that. So the right guess is 6 million miles per hour. 6 million miles per hour. For 31 hours straight. So Imagine what those breaks are going to look like. It's a good thing his thing runs on holiday cheer because right? you're going to go through a lot of gasoline. Yeah. No wonder that nose is red. Because <laughs> he's breaking the sound barrier. <laughs> sound barrier. It's just a hot, it's a hot cone up there. It's just friction. <laughs> All right, this week's question. How much poop does a rhino make in a single defecation? In a single poo. Rhinos much, can poo. How much poo does a rhino poo in a single poo? Yeah. <laughs> now, don't don't confuse this with um, hippos, because when hippos poo, they spray. Oh, yeah, they spin, Their spin tail the tail. spins and goes like... It's like a machine gun. It's a splattering. Yeah. But will. not with hippo. Oh, not with uh, rhinos. No. Rhinos uh, poo massive amounts of poo. So they we'd do. like to hear how many pounds of poo. Pounds, kilos, ounces, whatever you guys want to go with. Yeah. Some unit of... Uh, Weight. Yeah. A weighty. Not size. Weight. Vol. Yeah. Ooh, I'm excited. I'm excited for the chip time. Cabbage taro. So this is, again, the Yokin Mr. Cabbage Taro. We believe it's called sauce flavor. Did we get it from Steve-O? We did get it from Steve-O. Steve-O uh, was recently in San Francisco. He brought these back, I believe, from San Francisco. So, uh, so we're pretty excited there. Baked um, cookies. Baked cookies. That's what it says right here. Baked cookies. It does say baked cookies. <laughs> um, 
So this is a, uh, a Japanese uh, sauce flavor. It's sprinkled with the Aosa, also known as a nori, the green nori seaweed type. It is a popular degeshi, which is a snack of the common people. Ooh, that's so, us. So that's good to know. We're common folks snacking. Uh, the origin of the name and of the frog character, there's a frog that's dressed up as a policeman, is not currently known. Hmm. Uh, we've got a chip tear ratio on this thing of about... 61%. So these are not chips. These no. are like puffs. Like these the are, cheese puffs. These are corn puff the, balls, basically. Or so. the, uh, well, on the on the picture they look like balls. They don't they come out like, like cheese balls. balls. They look much more right. umami. Down the hatch we go. I'm trying to, I'm trying to find the flavor. I know that, I don't know if it's a, they're not, mm. They quickly dissolve. I like the typical cheese puffs, only zero cheese flavor. Um, I'm catching a little little of that curry there on yeah. the second bite. The darker colored ones certainly have more flavor on them. Um, um, so there's this curry ketchup in the Netherlands and Germany that you put on your sausage. Yeah. It has a little bit of that. Um, it, it's not a it's not a bad flavor. I don't mind the flavor at all. No. It definitely smells a little like Worcestershire sauce for kind of a more yeah. western scent there. I'm not getting Worcestershire sauce taste, but I'm not getting the taste either. Um it's my great. biggest problem is that they're soft. They disappear like, real quick. I, I, I like a crunch and this is not crunching. Um I do like the flavor. Yeah. It's something different. It's definitely a flavor that would go well with a with a light beer. Yeah, yeah. On a on a on a Sunday summer afternoon out on the porch, just hanging out at happy hour. I'm, I'm looking over uh, there, and there's like 500 pounds of chocolate covered pecans that we got. There's a lot. You can smell. Oh, thanks, it's Suzanne. That's going to be inundating the senses. That is crazy. That's a lot of pecans. Oh. All right, back to the chips. Uh, it's not chips. It's puffs. Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go with one thumb. I'm also gonna go with one thumb. They're, and that's for flavor. They're good. They're just not. That's probably two thumbs up for flavor, one thumb down for crispiness. Oh, yeah, I think therefore it's fair. with one total thumb. They, they do have consumability though. I mean, I could see how you could eat about 50 million of these in one. Oh, this is one bag. Yeah, you would just keep eating this yeah. absolutely. Because they disappear so quick. I mean, yep. it's that it's that thing they do to make you eat more. Even though you're taking in like 5,000 calories, you feel like you've taken in 10. Yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah. Um, no. Thanks, Steve. Oh, that was that yeah. was delicious as far as trying something completely new is concerned. Maybe we'll have to do a long-term review on these, see how they taste by the end of the week, and, and review. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a unique flavor, I, although it's recognizable. It's not like the like the squid chili flavor that we had that was oh yeah unique in that a was new way. Different. I can definitely recognize the flavor. I think that the curry gewurz is a is a great parallel. A great parallel. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, next week, we are going to go over patella dislocation. Oh, those are fun. And we're going to review the Kettle Brand Farm Stand Ranch. I tried to relocate a patella by phone the other day. How did that go? Not well. We'll talk about well, next week. Yeah, I, I didn't get the text uh, in time. No. <laughs> if you liked today's epi episode, please tell your friends, follow, review, subscribe. We will be posting several things on Instagram and Twitter this week, particularly photos related to orientation of the sciatic nerve and piriformis, as well as some other interesting stuff. 
picture of the cabbage taro frog, yes. perhaps. Uh, everyone who celebrates, please have a Merry Christmas next week. And everyone who just finished celebrating Hanukkah, hope your Hanukkah was good. I hope you guys had fun, absolutely. If you need more information about rebound therapy, check out our website, reboundclinic.com. He's, He's Christian. Jimmer. I'm Jimmer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>